You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to M Squared TechCast, a live internet radio show offering the latest news and interviews with the people driving business, technology, and politics in Michigan. Now, your hosts, Matt Rausch and Mike Brennan. Hey, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And we are back once again with the March 15th, 2021 version of the M Squared TechCast. Um, welcome to the show. We've got a good one for you today, and we are kicking it off with someone from the Centropolis Accelerator at Lawrence Technological University in Southfield, Dennis Shaver, who is one of their experts in residence. Um, Dennis, let's first of all, welcome to the show. Glad you could be with us today. Thank you very much, uh, Mike and Matt. I love your show. I always watch it, and uh, it's amazing uh, the, the amount of content and material that we get uh, with your show. And Hopefully, what we share with you today is even better than what you've ever seen in the past. Okay, good. And, and that um, was an unsolicited testimonial out there in the audience. So I just uh, we didn't put him up to it; he just did it on his own. So go ahead. Okay. All right. Well, um, I want to start out by thinking that maybe some people out there in the audience have not heard of the Centropolis Accelerator yet. So uh, why don't we start out by selling, telling us what is the Centropolis Accelerator? What uh, what does it uh, intend to do and what services does it offer? Well, first of all, a lot of us uh, like to have fast cars, right? And the first thing you do when we have a fast car is accelerate it. We push down the gas pedal. And that's kind of what we do here as an accelerator uh, is that we help people with physical products. And what I mean by physical products is real products, like something that you could actually get your hands on and, and make, uh, hopefully make, uh, get it commercialized. In the marketplace. So we help with that. And our focus is to fuel the growth of hardware entrepreneurs, in other words, physical products, by providing access to key resources. And that means mentors from people like us. I'm an expert in residence here. And it's not just because I have gray hair, but it's decades of experience in working in the industry, designed through manufacturing with companies like uh, PepsiCo, Clorox, General Motors, and several business startups. So they invite us here to work with the Centropolis Center to be a key resource and also help with offering up um, workshops, cutting-edge technology support, corporate connections, that's very key. Student and faculty engagement is amazing here at Lawrence Tech. I've already got several projects that I'm working on with them. It's amazing getting the, the collaboration with them. We also put on major events, which we'll talk about later here, and then also shared workspace in a community of industry peers that you can work with. Now, we also work in partnership with Automation Alley and Lean Rocket Labs. And collectively, we reach out for Industry 4.0 technologies uh, globally and inviting them to be part of this accelerator. Um, in fact, we also receive applications all over the world. I guess there's supposed to be something like 230 applications we received so far from 30 different countries, including Europe, Brazil, Asia, and all over the USA and including here in Michigan, sometimes we're considered a different country as well. <laughs> uh, we okay, all so let's let's uh, talk about this latest effort, uh, the C3 or C-cubed accelerator. Yes. Um, how is it different from the overall accelerator, and what is its mission? Absolutely. So first of all, through engagement and support uh, in speed to market is something very, very important to accelerate a, a new product to get it to market. But we also help you identify and align with the most effective resources to better navigate how to uh, get through the um, you know, manufacturing, through the technology, and also market viable products so that you can pave the path for commercialization. So what's unique about C3 is that it's for um, uh, clean tech, climate tech, and circular economy. So that's something that's a big drive, especially here in Michigan and beyond. So we help accelerate those technologies to demonstrate positive impact on increasing energy efficiency, generating renewable energy, reducing greenhouse gas emissions, and recycling and upcycling as well. So we basically help them accelerate their technology to support the challenges and needs also of state, county, and department utility transmission firms, 
uh, manufacturing companies and commercial building operations. So, Dennis, who's paying the bill on all this? Where's the money coming from? Well, you know, that's always a good point. It's like, show me the money. And it's like, yeah. uh, you know, the thing about uh, what's beautiful about what we're doing here is it's the latest and greatest in terms of helping evolve technology and getting to get into commercialization. So, first of all, the Michigan Department of Environment, Great Lakes and Energy, better known as EGLE, is supporting us. The New Economy Initiative, NEI, and also, most importantly, as well as Fargo Innovation Incubator, and that's IN2. Now, totaling, we got about $275,000 in funding grants, no equity, interest-free investments, and services to support the product development of physical products, scaling uh, those products in clean tech, climate tech, and circular economy technologies. So why don't you give me some examples of each of those three Cs? A couple of examples of what a good um, clean tech project would be, what a good climate tech product would be, what a good uh, circular economy product would be. Absolutely, absolutely. So there's one example here of a clean tech company. It's right here in Michigan, and it's called Rhombus Energy. Now, they also are recognized as a best clean tech com- company in a recent competition that we had. They actually design and manufacture high-voltage, fast-charging EV, electronic vehicle chargers. You can pretty much charge this in about an hour. And I know it's not as fast as your Maserati, Matt, but, you know, it's, it's pretty Bruce supposed to know about that. you got to be quiet. So. <laughs> uh, the other thing is, is that we talk about um, uh, circular economy is that uh, when you're looking at recycling or repurposing, can we help take, um, for example, spent grain from a brewery and be able to repurpose that grain? Now, back when I was a kid, I uh, lived in Mayville, Michigan, we had 110 cows and we took that spent grain and fed it to our cattle. Well, there's better ways of utilizing that, uh, that grain that you can actually turn into some other form of organic or recycled type of material and add it back to a value added uh, product for industry. Okay. Um, so, so tell me a little bit about the criteria for becoming a client of the C3 Accelerator. What's required? Uh, first of all, what's required, and I want to share with you kind of what we do here as well. And uh, we offer design through manufacturing support. Here is an example of what you would see uh, in terms of design work. We not only do the design, but we also do value engineering, reverse engineering. This is not my face. This was a deformed face where we had it scanned and then provide it for the uh, surgeon to be able to do implants for this as well. So we do 3D printing, 3D printing of parts to get it to as close as possible to a, uh, a, 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 you know, something as close as possible to the real product, but still a prototype. And then also uh, we do uh, injection mold tool design for for people. And this is a small tool here that can produce about a million parts, plastic parts. And then we also, of course, do smart devices for, uh, you know, clean tech, climate tech, and the circular economy type of things here. So that just gives you an example of there of the capabilities. Uh, we also work with local manufacturers as well and service providers uh, who offer these services. So we're making connections. So here's the thing. When people have a great idea for a clean tech, climate tech, or circular economy technology. They're all excited. They're really ready to accelerate and get to the market as soon as possible. But even with my experience work with the big three and other companies and startups is that as a CEO or a startup or founder, we don't always have the access to everything and everybody. That's the beauty of working here at the C3 uh, you know, incubator is that we're connected with these resources so we can help you connect with them and understand how to identify and align with the most effective resources. And then from there, knowing how to navigate each step to get toward not only a market viable product, but most importantly, how to commercial how to commercialize it effectively. So you got everybody all lathered up. They want to figure out a way to get plugged into this. How do they do that? Uh, well, first of all, uh, the way that the criteria here is it has to be one of the C, the, the C, the three C's, and that's clean tech, climate tech, tech, and uh, circular economy. This, first of all, is open globally to growth stage startups. In other words, you know, growth means that you've already planted the seed, you've already cultivated the land, and now you're expecting it to grow. Some people will come to us and all they have is an idea, and it's like an idea is an idea until you know how to take effective action on it. So. We actually work with people at the growth stage. In other words, they have strong market potential with issued patents and or patent pending. 
They also have evidence of customer traction. In other words, like uh, letters of intent, letters of interest from potential target market contacts and or buyers. They have a, a solid understanding of the competitive landscape. They have an established management team, including funding resources already in place. And then also um, an existing financial runway in place to support the technology. And then most importantly is that these companies are either funded through other accelerators and or federal or state funding. Now, the thing is, as I mentioned about being a growth company, a growth company is at TR level five, uh, technology readiness level five. Level five means that you already have the, the realistic elements of your product so that it can be tested in a simulated environment. Now, a level four is, is you're just kind of testing a lab environment. It must be at this level to be able to apply for this. So the qualified technologies are clean tech, provide renewable energy, fuels, or improve efficiency. That's what it would do. Support electrification, replacing direct fossil fuel, propane, heating, gasoline, and then also organic or natural materials that displace non-sustainable materials in the product or processes. Uh, climate tech is where you reduce the carbon dioxide, methane, or other harmful emissions, or you sequester CO2 and convert it to value-added products, or provide adaptation solutions to existing and expected impacts to climate change. Now, you talked about uh, circular economy. That's where we find ways to get innovative and convert waste streams into value-added products like recycling, upcycling, reprocessing of materials, or improve recycling efficiencies, and then also improve biodegradable, recycled, upcycled product designs. And then most importantly, reduce the amount of materials that typically end up in landfills. And here in Michigan, we got a lot of material in our landfills. In fact, we have brought even material waste coming from Canada being dumped in our landfills. So we want to be able to convert from about 18% recycling to at least 45%. And there's plenty of potential for that. So it sounds like... uh... Do they need to be commercial already or pre-commercial? Because what you've just described is really a second-tier kind of company. Uh, it's not a startup at all. It's a stage two. I mean, that's pretty advanced you, company you, right there, right? If you want, if you want more information on this, because I had never heard of these yeah. technology readiness levels designation. That's a concept that came out of the space program. Actually, it came out of NASA. Right. And so you can you can just Google technology readiness level and figure out where your product or idea is on that scale. But what you're saying is is you want somebody at, at least at level five. Right? Yes, and yeah, exactly right. You can see that online. And also tomorrow we're gonna have an informational webinar, March sixth ah. at twelve noon. Gotta attend it. We'll have lots of great content there that uh, we'll be sharing. And you can find that in Centropolis Accelerator slash events. Centropolis Accelerator slash events. So okay. be aware of that. And also, please note that we're also focusing on helping uh, underrepresented groups like women-owned business and minority-owned businesses. And there's plenty of potential there. So don't be shy here. Reach out, connect, check us out online. And then also, the deadline to apply for this is May 31st. So to find out more about that, get on centropolisaccelerator.com forward slash programs. Okay, and that's, right. and that's C-E-N-T-R-E-P-O-L-I-S. Yes. Accelerator.com. Yes. And we've got, we, we've got links to that. Mike, I'm sure you've got a link to that on your, uh, your webpage someplace. We'll put a link to it on the video for this story. Also Absolutely, yeah. Right, right. And then also, we also have a, a business showcase event. Got to check that out as well. That's uh, in the beginning of August, August 26th, I think it is. So be sure to check that out. And you'll hear more about that tomorrow at our informational webinar. Uh, oh, dare, dare we hope that by then that can be in person? Maybe. Knock on wood. So. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thanks. We're out of Thanks time, man. Take us yeah. out. So. All right. Dennis Shaver of Centropolis Accelerator about the C3 Accelerator program. Check it out at centropolisaccelerator.com. We'll be right back with another segment of the M Squared TechCast. For right now, it's Matt Rausch. And Mike Brennan. And you're watching the M Squared TechCast. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, 
faculty and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Uh, we're back. Matt had to drop out. He had a previous engagement. So I'm I'm going to go one-on-one with Kathleen Norton Shock, but I think I can handle it. Uh, so Kathleen, lots of uh, great stuff coming up out of the Michigan Council of Women in Technology. And of course, your own particular podcast, Diva Tech Talk. Take it away. Yeah, thanks, Mike. Um, actually, uh, thank you for asking me to participate earlier in the month than I anticipated because, of course, we are in Women's History Month. Uh, big deal for us. Um, big deal, I think, for everyone, women and men. Um, if your listeners uh, are Facebook users, they can go to the Michigan Council of Women in Technology Facebook site. Just do a little search for Michigan Council of Women in Technology and go back to a post that we did on January 20th, which happens, of course, just coincidentally to be Inauguration Day. And uh, on that very substantive post, we cataloged the struggle women have undertaken in this country and globally to assert equal rights. I mean, for instance, it took 144 years for women to get the vote and another 40 to 50 for women of color to exercise voting rights. Right. So progress on both fronts have accelerated mightily, particularly beginning in the 70s. And if you look at the post, it'll show it all of a sudden, you know, Title IX, women marching on Washington, Billie Jean King and Bobby Riggs. And well, then you go into the real 80s. quick, Kathleen, that my grandmother was a suffragette uh, way back doesn't when. Doesn't surprise so. me, Michael. Doesn't surprise me at all. OK, so. Often on that Facebook site, and I would encourage some of your listeners to go to it if they don't mind using Facebook. Um, I, of course, am in my 18th year of volunteerism for MCWT because I believe in it so much. And we have a number of studies from key allies and supporters, companies like Deloitte, PwC, McKinsey, um, the market researcher Gallup, right? Stanford Center for Equity and ENY. And there are substantive studies, some that go over 10 years, some, some that go over two years, some that go over 15 years, that talk about how important it is for diversity, equity, and inclusion to be part of the way we treat the world, and particularly for both nonprofits and for profits. In the case of nonprofits, there's lots of data that says that you make a greater impact more quickly and more efficiently when you have diverse teams. But for profits in particular, if there are more women on your board, more women in your C-suite, your profits go up and so does your stock typically. So again, I do encourage people to go to Facebook, to the Michigan Council of Women in Technology site. I've been not monitoring it. I've been running it for 13 years. And the bottom line is there's a ton of data there. But our January 20th post in particular will give you a very quick and dirty history of all of the progress women have made and then shine a light on what they need to do in the future. And you know me, I'm a pretty practical person. So speaking about shining a light on the future, it's only really in the last five years that DEI programs, diversity, equity, and inclusion programs have become a watchword and uh, an initiative for most of our Fortune 500 or Fortune 2000 companies. And so, of course, that's great. When companies in our area, for instance, like GM and Ford and Stellantis and Ally and Comerica all have substantive programs. And in my field, Oracle, Cisco, VMware, they all have substantive programs. But I'd also like to say that it's also equally important for smaller companies, possibly privately held companies, to do the same thing. And it just so happens that in the last two weeks, there's a smaller company where I've made the acquaintance of their director of human resources. And I got to tell you, I was very impressed. The name of the company is OHM Advisors. They are an AEC company, architectural engineering company and consulting. And their human resources director is a woman of color, Kelly Jackson. And she's been with them 27 years, 25 of them in HR. Um, And she's known 
and I didn't know this because I'm not an HR expert, in, in our region as an HR industry expert in things like compliance, benefits, talent recruitment, talent fostering, but now also in DEI. OHM is privately held. When she started out, there were only 60 people working at the company. They now have 520 colleagues spread among 16 offices in four states. And since 2017, at the behest of her leadership, she has formally championed diversity programs, DEI formal programs at OHM. Uh, From 2018 through today, as an example, OHM has internal programs where they brought in and trained 520 colleagues in such things as bias training. So they brought in a nationwide expert for two years who worked with them and trained every one of their people multiple times in diversity and inclusion and what it means and how to hire and how to use people, not use them, but have them use their own talents to bet to, to forward your mission. Um, and in 2020, you know, our year of COVID, they evolved the program so that now they don't just have a nationwide expert and they're not just educating, they have facilitative workshops where people get together and talk about their experiences and share how they feel about these things. Like for instance, I, they had a recent workshop on microaggressions, which many people of color and many women have experienced in the workplace. And how do you deal with that? And what have people's experiences been? So I was super, super impressed. So that impressed me to begin with. And then she begins to tell me that OHM has stretched their efforts in a whole bunch of different ways. Over the last three years, they're a private company. They make maybe $70 million a year. They are doing scholarship programs for 12 women or people or di- people in diverse minority, in, in, in what we would call ethnic minorities, um, to go to school, right, in, in an area that they're interested in, which is civil engineering. Um, and on top of that, they participate with our own University of, Mi- of Michigan in matching 50% of its Pelham scholarship for civil engineering up to a cap of $75,000. And also with Kelly's inspiration and uh, urging their president last year, who's now the head of their board of directors, and he's the H in OHM. His name is John Hiltz. He is one of only 1,300 CEOs. Now you got to understand that in our country, we have 195,000 plus CEOs. Hmm. Only 1,300 thus far, and I'm sure this is going to change, have signed the CEO Action for Diversity and Inclusion Pledge, which says, and it's a three-page document. I read it over the weekend and went, whoa, because it has in it all of the best practices to really make DEI programs successful. And they signed it last year, and they're relatively small. So I was super impressed, and I just met these people and thought, okay, this is a great example. They're right down in Livonia, right on Plymouth Road. So they're in our region. Um, And they have a lot of this stuff down. And if anybody else wants to learn from them, their website is www.ohm-advisors.com. You go to, it's a great website. I don't know who did it, but they did a beautiful job. And you, you touch the diversity and inclusion tab, and all of a sudden, all this information and again, recommendations for other companies is there. So um, I was impressed by meeting them, and I thought they were a great example for our particular topic. But as you know, of course, besides MCWT, uh, I'm now with Nicole Scheffler, who is now a, a director of engineering at VMware, a big company I just mentioned a minute ago. Um, Diva Tech Talk is a labor of love for us. And we publish every month podcasts highlighting women leaders, right? And women tech leaders, because that's the field we're in. Um, we're at 102 podcasts right now. Um, but it, about a year and a half ago, we did a little sub-series because we kept finding women, you know, at, at the Anita Borg conference. At, I'm sorry, at the Grace Hopper conference, at an Anita Borg event, at uh, an event at Logicalis. We kept finding women who were either involved in or who had been elevated to head diversity and inclusion programs at their various companies, companies like Oracle, Microsoft, Cisco. But there are also smaller companies like Avalara or a company that at the point they first started, it was pretty small, Zillow. And now, of course, it's a powerhouse, right? So we have a set of podcasts. There's 102 of them. But there are three in particular 
that again, give great insight into how one can do a DEI program. And so if you go to our website, which is www.divatechtalk.com, you can download any one of our podcasts, but particularly I would recommend podcast 83, 87, and 93, where we have DEI leaders from tech companies talking about how they did it. And if you just want to go to the podcast channels, of course, we're in the Apple library. We're at the Google channel, the Google podcast channel. We are, of course, on Spotify. I think everyone is. And we are on Stitcher. So finally, for diversity in action on my own side, again, I mentioned before, I'm an 18-year volunteer in my spare time. Uh, on the marketing side of MCWT, the Michigan Council of Women in Technology, and Chris Rzewski, who is our amazing executive director, and I were talking in February about what were we going to do about National Women's Month. And she said, Kathleen, this is silly. We do everything every day (laughs) for women. She said, but I guess if you're going to talk about it, one of the things you can possibly do is just talk about our deadlines in March. Well, you happen to bring me on this week and we have a big deadline this week. We do an annual Michigan Women Woman of the Year in Tech Award. I think you know about that. We've been talking about it for about four or five years. Uh, we've done some really cool women. Allison Gleason is a friend of mine who was a senior vice president at Cisco, did it one year. In 2019, we had a woman who was heading, uh, who was part of the uh, CIO program. In other words, the CIO for U of M. She worked in his office. So You know, you don't have to be a member of MCWT, but this is the week that we have the deadline for nominations. So I would ask if anybody knows a woman who is who embodies our mission. And as you know, our mission is inspiring, growing women in technology. So the nominee probably has to be a person who leads today or has led in the past the past some kind of significant positive change for women either women who are working in, teaching, or studying IT. Uh, It has to be an IT or some kind of computer-related field of study um, or mission in life. But the recipient does not need to be a member of MCWT. Nomination forms are available on our website, www.mcwt.org. And submissions have to be emailed to awards at mcwt.org by March 19th, which is this coming Friday. So I would ask that um, that as soon as this, well, I know you're live right now, so hopefully somebody will be hearing this, but as soon as we get the link, we'll put it out on various sites. We've gotten some nominations thus far, but we can always use more. And if you don't make it this year, you'll make it next year. It'll be awarded at, we always do a career event, a big one in May, um, I can't remember the formal name of it, but we'll probably talk about it next month. Um, and and then obviously, too, there's the press involved. You know, I mean, we'll get the press release out and we'll all know about this fabulous person um, who who won as Woman of the Year in Technology for I think this would be our fifth or sixth year. All right. Well, we got about a minute left. So one more time, run me through all those websites where everybody can pick up all this information. OK, so for good examples on a great smaller company. DEI, Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Program, I do recommend that people go to my friend, my new friend, Kelly Jackson's site, um, where she's director for the last quarter of a century of HR for OM Advisors, and that would be www.ohm, O-H-M hyphen or dash advisors, A-D-V-I-S-O-R-S.com and touch the diversity and inclusion tab. But you also can see a whole bunch of other things about all the wonderful things they're doing for infrastructure mm-hmm. in our country. Diva Tech Talk is D-I-V-A-T-E-C-H-T-A-L-K.com. And of course, the Michigan Council of Women in Technology is www.mcwt.org. All right, Kathleen Norton Shock, a woman of many hats. Uh, appreciate you being on the show today. And I know Dave Phillips is engineering, so as soon as he gets me that video link, we'll be able to turn this segment around for you. Okay, thanks, Mike. And thanks, as always, for the opportunity. I'll see you in April. All right, sounds great. Thanks, Kathleen. We'll be right back with another segment. Hopefully, Fred Brown, our epidemiologist, is standing by. And so this is Mike Brennan. Stand by for more. Lawrence Technological University graduates earn a degree and a higher starting salary. 
In fact, when it comes to earning potential, the Brookings Institution ranks LTU fifth among U.S. colleges and universities. Be enriched. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. What do you get at Lawrence Technological University? Everything. Great labs and studios, supportive professors, plus a full campus life, NAIA athletics, and all the software you need to succeed. Be smart. Be more. At LTU, possible is everything. Salaries of Lawrence Tech grads are among the highest of any university in America. Plan a campus visit to meet with counselors, faculty, and coaches. Why wait? Find out more at ltu.edu. Hey, it's Mike Brennan. We're back. Matt had to step out to deal with a, another event that he's working today. And so I'll go one-on-one with my friend here, epidemiologist Fred Brown, and uh, who's been with us now for about a year, actually. And we've been trying to keep everybody up to date and all the latest news with COVID-19. And now with the good news that the vaccines are being distributed. And as I just mentioned to Kathleen before we started, I finally got mine scheduled. I'm going to do it at the EMU Convocation Center on the 19th on Friday. And so that's the Pfizer vaccine. And then I go back on April 9th to get my second shot. And then hopefully we'll be okay. Right, Fred? Yeah, well, uh, yeah, that's right. On an individual basis, you'll be a lot more protected. There's no doubt about it. Once you get the vaccines, they are super protective, really safe, and great technology. So, but even, uh, we, we talked about this last week, but I wanted to bring it up again. Even after you get vaccinated, does that mean then that you can uh, pack yourself into a bar without a mask or or anything like that, right? There's still a lot of precautions that need to be taken. Yeah, actually, the problem, the, the challenge we have is that the vaccines are intermuscular, and so those go into your muscles, and, and they give you a nice sense of immunity inside your body. The problem is the, the virus actually attacks your nasal mucosa, which is a different part of your body and isn't part of the real, isn't part of the natural, it, it has a slightly different immune response uh, than what happens in, inside the rest of your body. And so what we're not sure about is whether or not you, you, your body is safe, but you're still uh, at risk of, of getting infected because your mucosal membranes aren't protected or that you can transfer to other people. And especially if you are at risk, uh, uh, that means older, having homeward disease, um, uh, or, or other, other risk factors, um, that, uh, you really could transfer even if you, uh, the, 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 uh, uh, the virus, even if you are, have been vaccinated. And so until we get a lot more safe, I think I showed you my, my little, uh, diagram of what my epidemiologist friends said, what they would feel comfortable doing, what they wouldn't feel comfortable doing. If I haven't done that, maybe I should do that next week, but I, okay. I, I that I, I kind of surveyed a hundred epidemiologists of uh, friends of mine and said, you know, what, what activities would you feel comfortable with? What and, and under what circumstances? And all and every one of them said, you know, going to a bar not till we hit we reach herd immunity. You know, that means a combination of vaccination plus infection rates have to be over at this rate probably over eighty percent of the population. Hmm. And that's a that's that, that's a big hurdle to go to a bar. Uh, that's the same for a big sporting event. But on the other hand, you know, if you're just talking about getting together with another friend who's also been vaccinated, uh, absolutely don't don't go with more than two friends though who have been vaccinated. Well, President Biden, what last week, said that he was hoping by the 4th of July you could have a small, intimate 4th of July party. Didn't get into a high level of detail. What does that mean? Four or five people, everybody wearing masks or what? So there are a couple of things that matter. Uh, Number one, it's how many from different families are getting together. So if you're talking about your own pod uh, and you're vaccinated and everyone else isn't vaccinated and you're used and and that's a group you're getting together with all the time and who are being relatively safe then yeah, you, can, you can have that party. If you're talking about another family, and, uh, and again, every, uh, with everyone being, having been vaccinated at this point, I think by July 4th, everyone, I think by July 14th, everyone will be vaccinated. I'm not sure about July 4th. So if you're, if you're at that stage where everyone's vaccinated or who, who's at risk, certainly, um, and it's two families getting together, then that's fine, even if they don't commingle. The issues are if it's still in a in a closed area, so be outside on a barbecue, not inside. Instead of barbecue, not <laughs> not in the indoor party with, with sixty people, uh, and that's really important. So the you know it's still the same risk factors, right? Are you are you are you uh, you know are you commingling with lots of crowds in a in, in a in a in a 
uh, real tight area, sharing air, and how many people are, are at risk. And if those two things are high, then you don't want to do it even if you've been vaccinated. You want to kill the wear a mask. You want to avoid those situations. So when you're commingling with lots of people, uh, commingling the air with lots of people, and a lot of these people, and, and you or a lot of the people in the audience uh, and in your group are at risk, don't do it. Well, there's a couple of events coming up that I've been debating on whether I should even participate in. Uh, through uh, what I do with my other project, Michigan Marijuana Report, I've been invited to a golf outing at the end of May, which would be outdoors. Excellent. And then, and then a beach party at the end of June on Lake Michigan, which, of course, would be outdoors. And uh, what do you think? Bring your own food and go. Have a great time. Uh, but stay. Uh, but, but still maintain precautions, right? Uh, golfing is relatively safe. On the beach is relatively safe. We really haven't been able to trace anything uh, you know, directly back to those events uh, officially. Uh, so we have been watching those things pretty carefully. And, and golfing seems uh, seems safe. And uh, and so does uh, going to a beach where there's lots of air circulation. I wouldn't stand on big lines, though, waiting for barbecue to be served. And then also, yeah. I don't know if it's true or whether it's just an urban legend, something about ultraviolet light. Our little COVID friends don't like ultraviolet light. Oh, they light. don't like it. That's right. It disrupts the, it disrupts them completely. UV light is great. Oh, sunlight is good, uh, generally, because it, it also, uh, uh, all that fresh air, a little bit of exercise really stimulates your immune system. It's all good. Okay. D3, vitamin D3. You know, so I, uh, you know, speaking of that, I wanted to go back, if it makes sense, because um, people, you know, typically we have these, you have these clinical uh, tests uh, and then, and trials, and then, you know, you never hear anything back and everyone's starting to get vaccinated. So what happened was the FDA, in order to pass, uh, approve Johnson & Johnson's uh, vaccine on February 13th, as I recall, they actually went back and said, how safe have our vaccines been to date? And so they actually, you know, so do we have a systematic problem with the way we're approving these vaccines? If so, we should reflect this in the new J&J vaccine. But if we've been safe from with Moderna and Pfizer uh, with our last review, then things should be good. And so if you like, I can share, I can share my screen a little bit and, sure. show you, and show you what they said, which I think is kind of heartening. Uh, um, so let's see here. Uh, I need to go to a different uh, size of slides. Let me guess. So let me go and do that. Here we are. Lots of slides. Ah, well, we won't show them all today. We'll we'll, we'll save a few in <laughs> just in case you uh, uh, just in case you uh, you've got extra questions. Uh, then. Here we are on uh, on the fifteenth. I'm ahead of myself, but anyway, the Ides uh, of March today, Fred. That's so, uh, right. That's right. So, um, so what we have in in our database is we have a uh, we've got two big databases. One is called VAERS, and VAERS is a, is a database that actually you're required to set fill in. So when you go to a clinical trial, they say, "Would you mind going on as a special subset of our our collection data set?" And 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 if you agree, then we're going to go and actively collect lots of data for from you, and you're part of our trial. And they're doing that with follow up trial with probably about you know among the three uh, groups that have been. Uh, tested, they're probably doing that with almost 20,000 patients where mm -hmm. these people uh, will be monitored at for six months, 12 months, a uh, and, and then two years to see whether or not they you know, have continued uh, immunity, whether they have any troubles. Uh, that, and then we've got something that you can sign up for just as, as anybody who said, and, and, and that's called uh, the V-Safe database. So that's something you don't have to participate in the trial, but you just say, "Hey, you know, I've just, I've just, you know, I've just uh, participated. Uh, I've just taken my vaccine. Everything's good, or you know, I have the swelling, or I've got this, or I have that." So that's a voluntary piece. So the problem that the, that the challenge with VSAFE is that it is voluntary, and so you are going to get some selection bias. People don't, not everybody wants to sign up for this. Um, but you can see that it's a pretty good sized data set, right? Uh, so this is the number of people at the time uh, that were. Uh, reported. And one of the things I was interested in, one of the things I always get requests about is, gosh, I'm, I, I'm, I, we want to get, we want to become pregnant. Is it safe? You know, should I take the virus uh, vaccine or not? And the answer is yes. Take the vaccine because it's more dangerous to you and your fetus uh, not to be vaccinated and catch COVID than it is for you to take this vaccine by far. And I'll show you, I'll show you some of that data, but we want to look at some of the uh, broader data as well. So you can see uh, of the 55 million people 
who are taking who are taking the uh, the vaccine. And by, by now, by the way, on a worldwide basis, over two hundred million uh, have taken hmm. the vaccine. So that's a lot of people. We got a lot of data sets, and so far, no big safety issues, and and no uh, and, and 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 very good immunity say, uh, uh, and efficacy results. Uh, and you can see that, re- that now, of the fifty five million people in the United States. Uh, Four, four million or so at the time this was happening in February sixteenth, uh, exactly a month ago, uh, signed up and said, "Yeah, I want to. I want to participate." And you can see uh, uh, almost ten percent. I'm sorry, <laughs> not quite. Uh, I want one percent, which is typical, uh, typical uh, pregnancy rate uh, uh, for the United States. Um, uh, said, uh, "I'm also pregnant." So that's sort of what happened. And you can see uh, that of those. That, that's just people who were reporting in. Of those, they actually registered. So you can decide, okay, I'm just going to report myself and say, yep, I'm, I'm, I'm in this because these are my conditions. You can also register yourself in order to be able to actually report. So they had 1,800 people registering um, of this. And in that uh, time of the 1,800, there are 275 completed pregnancies and 232 live births, which is great. I mean, it's actually higher rate of live births than we would actually anticipate with people not taking the vaccine, interestingly enough. So um, this is what, uh, the next big area is anaphylaxis. Anaphylaxis is, uh, and you can see that we finally got to parts per million, and we can now kind of say with some certainty that, um, you know, if you're if you're kind of that one in a million person who has special anaphylaxis, if you're taking um, the Pfizer or Moderna shots, um, the reason they have a slightly higher anaphylaxis rate is because they use a lot of polyethylene glycol. It turns out that that does uh, is something that people are allergic to at a little bit higher rate than J&J's uh, vaccine. Uh, so you can see it's about two to four times higher, but it's still at a, on a, on a you know, parts per million level for, for 2.5, four, and then versus, versus one, less than, slightly less than one person in a million is going to have an anaphylactic shock. And, and by the way, no one's died of the anaphylaxis. Everyone's had their EpiPen with them. Everyone's uh, gone ahead and taken the, you know, if they've had an re- adverse reaction, everyone's ready to go. That's why you wait that 15 minutes after you take that first shot. Ah. Sometimes people, people with a history should wait 45 minutes. Um, so just to make sure you, you're not going into a situation. Now, we also kind of register all the other bad things that can happen to you. And you can see what we look at, what we're interested in is that last two columns. We're interested in, okay, what is, what is, the, what is the problem? That's the, you know, do you have encephalomyelitis? Are you going to get myocardial infarction? Are you going to have respiratory distress? And those are very serious res- res- responses uh, to, you know, and, and very serious adverse events to, to, to a vaccine. And you can see in the fa- on the far right, what happens is, and, they, they, and this is how, how long they monitored this for, which is how much you, when you'd expect to see some kind of response, you know, uh, uh, from a vaccine. You can see the events in vaccinated versus the risk versus the events that people are expecting. Right, that's the uh, the second to the last on the on the right and the right. And so, if you had this many people taking the vaccine, you would expect in the general pop- population twenty six point zero myocardial infarctions. Whether you've taken a vaccine or not, you would have expected 26, and the actual events in the vaccinated is 23. Mm. So you can see that from that, there's no excess that's occurring, and that's true in the entire column. Um, and so that's uh, um, that, that that's what's what's nice about that is it's what the it's in the expected uh, statistically expected uh, levels that you would expect it anyway. Whether you've gotten the vaccine or not, if you got the vaccine, you're at, at the same risk level as people in general public. And so great news after, you know, now 55 million shots. <laughs> so we're now instead of instead of, you know, 75,000. Well, actually, uh, 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 we actually tested in these two groups, probably uh, 20,000 plus 15,000, so 35,000. So, you know, 20 now, now that we've got you know, 200 times more data, the answer is it's holding, which is great. Mm-hmm. And now here is the pregnancy. And you can see here are all the pregnancy outcomes that you would expect. Uh, in the background rate, that's the background rate. That's how much you'd expect uh, uh, right in the middle column. And then the far column, you see, you see how many actually occurred. And you can see in every case, we're right in that range of what, what we'd expect normally anyway, whether you were vaccinated or not vaccinated. So great news. If you're ha- and, the, and the great news is it really protects you significantly um, if, uh, if, if you from not getting a bad disease and, and, and sadly, you know, possibly dying yourself or, or killing your fetus or causing great, great harm to the fetus in some way when you don't have enough oxygenation 
uh, it, that's very difficult for the baby to survive, for, for a fe- developing fetus to survive normally with that situation if you're severely oxygen compromised uh, as a pregnant woman. And that's what happens, sadly, with, with, with severe COVID. So you want to avoid that situation at all ta- costs. This helps you avoid it, and you're not causing any additional risk for yourself. So, um, and I say this because there have been instances where people have decided to wait. They said, you know, I'm not really sure about this vaccine. I want to go ahead and, and let's wait for a slightly better one. And so here's what happens on a population basis. That's on the individual level, right? If you're pregnant, go ahead and take a shot. But here is uh, what happens on a, on, on a national level. And Germany decided that the AstraZeneca vaccine wasn't very good. And they did really, and they and they they said, you know, we want to wait till the Pfizer vaccine comes through because it was they were a little bit proud nationally that that Pfizer BioNTech uh, was was their was their vaccine. The UK was the AstraZeneca vaccine. They had a chance to approve and start vaccinating everybody at the same time the UK did. The UK was slightly ahead of us in terms of approval. Uh, uh, they were about about three weeks ahead of us on, on first first approvals. Germany uh, decided to wait to approve it till after we actually approved our 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 vaccine. And the problem was they also told everyone, and it's not very good, and so no one really wanted to sign up for it. So you can see what happened was they were ready in Germany to vaccinate at the same level the UK was, but they only got about 8% of people to so far vaccinate today, whereas 6 to 8% actually uh, in the UK were 35% vaccination levels. Now, what, did that, what that meant was, what, what Germany said was, um, if, we go, if, if we don't vaccinate, um, basically, and wait, uh, we're trying to get slightly better. And you can see how much slightly better that would be. What we know is that if you um, have one of these vaccines, uh, right now, nobody who's been vaccinated has died of COVID. Nobody uh, who's been vaccinated has gone to the hospital with COVID. So uh, there have been a, a, slaw, a, a, a you know, kind of a few hundred uh, uh, severe uh, severe uh, cases that have gone through, even at, despite being vaccinated. So those do occur. So if you do all the math, um, if you if they had gone ahead and vaccinated with AstraZeneca, they could have had between zero and seventy two hundred deaths. Hmm. If they waited for Pfizer, Moderna, they could have been between zero and two thousand deaths. But they but what, when waiting for that extra four percent benefit of waiting for a Pfizer shot, possible benefit and possibly zero benefit. They actually expose themselves to 50 extra days of people dying at 200 people per day. Hmm. So they said, we'll wait 50 days. And meanwhile, they're having 200 people dying a day. And that, that's easy math, right? <laughs> that's five. That's 10,000 people dying. And you're hoping that's that you're going to save an extra 40. That's it. So that's what happens when you don't really do the math and figure it out. So what happens, uh, I've had about... I've had probably 50 people come to me and say, Fred, you know, I have a chance. I, I could I could take the J&J vaccine or I could wait for three weeks and, and take the uh, take the uh, a Pfizer vaccine. And every time, even when the person is 18 years old, perfectly fit, has no uh, conditions, uh, 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 the answer is take the vaccine now. Don't wait for that extra three or four, possible three or four uh, percent and no change in act, actually death rates. So they're, you know, basically Germany sweated a, um, you know, a four percent improvement opportunity while they had, you know, while, while the house was burning down. Don't do, don't do that. <laughs> That's what we got right now. We got, a, we got the house burning down. We got lots of deaths out there. Lots of, you know, we got 70,000 new, uh, you know, new case, new cases a day. In United hmm. States. So don't, don't take that chance. Um, now here's um, what happened overall. You can see the problem was not only did the Germany, did Germany actually cause their death rates to go way up and nail new, new infections to go right. I mean, look at that curve. Whoop straight up, even much higher than ours did, uh, because they also have the B117 variant. And I told you the B117 variant last time, it is 50% more contagious. So you get Hmm. transmission at at 50% more rate and it's 20% more deadly. So you don't want to, and right now we think that the one one seven is going to become the dominant uh, uh, variant in the United States between now and May. So what happened last time was if you, it, what, and what happens when that happens and you our best chance for not allowing that to happen is is to avoid the, the be that to allow, to allow to prevent the the, the, the virus from, from from actually replicating so you, you want to be able to stop its reproduction rate and then you do that with masking 
Right now, we don't have enough people who are vaccinated to do that with vaccines, and we don't know, actually, if the vaccines stop transmission. We do know, though, that if you have a physical barrier in front of your face, you're not going to breathe on people. You're going to stop transmission that way. And with an N95 mask, it's 99.9% effective in stopping transmission if you've got it properly fitted. And even with a cloth mask, uh, it's 40% effective. And if you, if you double it up uh, and, and, and tie it down right, uh, it's up to 60% effective. So that's what we really want to keep doing, uh, even though we're starting to vaccinate at a faster rate than Germany. Otherwise, we're going to have that big peak when the B117 virus come, variant comes through, because what you're doing in the past with old technology well, isn't going to be enough to stop B117, and that's what they didn't understand. So look at how much different. When you're on, the yellow is uh, uh, and chart is, mm-hmm. German, is, is the EU, uh, and that's the new variant they have. And, and the, we're on the old variant on the U.S., uh, we have slightly, we're not quite as good as Europe is uh, with protection. Despite that, Europe, you can see that slope just going straight up uh, versus the United States where it's a little bit softer. And if we don't, if, if we're starting to, to, uh, to have challenges with the 1.17, you can bet that we're going to go straight back up again. So the idea is try to try to avoid getting infected, try to avoid allowing uh, the, the, the virus to keep replicating because the more it replicates, the more it has a chance to mutate. And the more it mutates, the more it has a chance uh, to become dangerous like the B117 variant, which is now in the United States. And the problem with that is that remember before I said, you know, 75% of people should be uh, should be either vaccinated or have had the, the virus, and then we're going to be protected. And um, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, because the B117 virus is that much more transmittable, now our herd immunity target is 85%, hmm. not 75%, because it's going to become the dominant piece. So by waiting and, and letting this get 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 you know really intercalated into our into our private lives, into our uh, we're letting this new variant come in, uh, we're going to actually have to have more vaccines and more uh, barriers and longer uh, uh, time uh, to, uh, to 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 improve. So that's that's the problem, and you can see that right now, luckily a lot more people are getting positive about taking the vaccine, which is super. Um, but of course, um, you know, we have to go from 75 now to 85%. Uh, and right now, my guess is that even though we have a 24% improvement in overall uh, people willingness to, uh, uh, to take the vaccine, that means we're, about, we're probably at about 77% or so that we're going to get with natural immunity. In the past, that would have been just enough to get us over on average. But today, it's not going to be enough. We have to do more, which means we need to have, you know, more push on the vaccine, faster access to, you know, and, and hopefully we can give people more venues, right? If you've taken the vaccine, you can get together with other vaccinated people. If you have taken the vaccine, you can come to our special party. If you come to our, get our, get our, if you take the vaccine, you can go on our flight uh, to, uh, on a long haul and, and, and you know, and do it to, to a nice place. Uh, or you can go to your job without having to be tested all the time or go to school without constantly being tested or wearing a mask. Those are the sort of things that we need to do to kind of push the vaccine uh, so that we can now achieve the even higher uh, targets we have uh, to achieve herd immunity. Well, let me course, ask you real quick. Yeah. Uh, are people going to be carrying a vaccination card? Is there going to be an app for your smartphone? Because you're going to have to verify to get on a plane or do other things that you've been vaccinated. How, how are they going to handle that? I think so. <clears throat> we are looking at that very carefully. A lot of... Uh, uh, so, for example, uh, uh, Israel has a green pass. The, the EU has different uh, carte de santé and other other uh, smart cards that indicate whether you've been vaccinated. India has a has a has a, has a vaccination card as well. It's automatic. It's a beautiful uh, information technology we, we we install for India uh, that really is going to help them a lot. I think in the United States, there's going to be a lot of resistance for privacy reasons to have uh, passports. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think if you want to uh, attend and do certain things and to get access to certain things particularly, for example, countries, <laughs> they're going to say, well, we love your independence, <laughs> but, but, you know, we're pretty safe here. And if you want to come to Taiwan, you're going to have to give a, show, show us you've been vaccinated. And that's typical today. I mean, you look at the special, I don't know if you have, you know, on the special yellow card, you see for vaccination, right. the national vaccination uh, piece, and they're not very complicated. And, and if you're going into an area that has has had trouble, for example, with yellow fever or coming from an area with yellow fever or, or malaria, you'll get a little stamp. And then they'll expect you to have a vaccine or, or have done, been, 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 uh, have done um, you know, taking countermeasures before you enter the country. Uh, so it'll take a little more planning. I don't, so, I don't, so the answer is I don't think it's going to be uh, required in the United States, but I do think that other countries are going to require it. And for people who are traveling a lot, they'll have to have a card. 
Um, right, right now, that's my guess. If we continue to have trouble with variants, I think it may get co- quite complicated. And the U.S. at that point may require it uh, to indicate what vaccine you're you're up to date with and which variants you're sheltered from. Because um, if it gets more complicated than it is right now, which we're, where we have a pretty good vaccine for everything that we're really fighting against, that's one scenario. But if it turns out that you're not getting good with the you know the vaccine you've taken isn't any good for South 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 America, and you're going to South America. You know, at that point, you, you probably want to get vaccinated. You want to know that and have a record of it. But well, even to go to Europe, I think even if you are vaccinated, don't they still require a quarantine once you land or yeah. not? Yeah, they, uh, many, many, absolutely. Many countries are still requiring that because they're concerned uh, that you can still be a carrier. Once you know more about transmission, uh, then if the transmission rates are also reduced by, you think, up to 70 to 80 percent. At that point, I think some of those standards will, will, will relax. But right now, absolutely right. Quarantine is required for most countries. Hmm. Can you imagine that? You fly to Europe and you got to sit in a hotel for 14 days before you go out. <laughs> fly back again. Yeah, exactly. I don't think that sounds like fun to me, you know? So. Yeah, no, uh, that's that, that's right. Um, it, and sometimes they're down to 10 days now for some, but, but uh, 14 days is a long time to sit in a hotel. It's expensive. So here's, a, here's the, uh, uh, the message, the problem that we're having, right? Uh, a number of, of our states are starting to open up. Uh, and because we were, we're sort of antsy, uh, it's going to be nice weather. Uh, the South especially wants to, it's perfect weather right now. And then it's going to get too hot in the summer. So they want to, you know, kind of make hay and have fun while the, while the, uh, while, while, uh, while the sun is shining. And you can see here all the different states. And I, I actually consulted several of these states who are, are pursuing different strategies. Uh, you know, some are pausing reopening like Washington state is and Wisconsin is. Others are going full full tilt and completely opening up because Iowa, Montana, Florida, Texas, and then others um, are lifting restrictions slowly and easing them up. And it was what was funny uh, was that you know there is a lot of polarity in in this and a lot of and the problem is that we have a lot of conflicting signals and that's because we're actually in a transition period. We're transitioning from a point where we have where we're very susceptible, lots of lots of COVID outbreaks to one where we think we have better control. And so the question is, you know, when should we go ahead and open up? And of course, uh, <laughs> I'm not sure we're ready for this, but this is what's going to happen in Daytona Beach on spring break, right? <laughs> oh, I think it's happening right now, in fact. It's happening so. right now, right? So the question is, is this smart? And the well, answer is no. <laughs> don't, see, don't see a mask anywhere, right? <laughs> oh, having a grand time. You know, we're in a transition period. We're, well, I think we're getting an advantage against the virus. You don't want to let the virus come back, but with its biggest tool, which is re- fast replication. Um, and so, you know, when I see these kind of data sets and I don't know the answer, I tend to say, let's, uh, let's, pre- let, let's behave like we're not sure. And therefore we don't want to go out and, you know, go out on the thin ice and jump up and down <laughs> or play hockey. We want to kind of, Take, take our time and make sure that the ice is thick enough for us to support the team. Uh, so, um, uh, I, I, uh, the, the challenge is that some governments, uh, some, some states are treating it as if we don't know, let's see what happens. And I'm more on the, on the side of if we don't know, let's wait, <laughs> let's wait a little bit longer. And here's what happens. So Texas, as you know, uh, they decided to, to, to open up and you can see that. Uh, we actually did some scenarios, and this is what happens in Texas if you open up too soon. If you open up uh, uh, completely April 15th, and of course they actually were earlier than this, you can see the level of hospitalizations are kind of in the 200,000 level. If you wait until uh, June 1st, meanwhile, you've actually uh, 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 decreased that number by 300%. So if you just by, by waiting uh, by, by, by waiting uh, uh, what, uh, six weeks, Suddenly, because you're on an exponential curve and you've avoided having B17, B117 hit you, um, you really reduce uh, the amount of, of, of trouble that you're going to have. And if you are willing to wait uh, for one for till, till, until August 1st, uh, you know, then you really are going to really control this thing. And so for the vast majority of states are recommending don't open up too fast. This is what happens when we do this. We've done this for Virginia. We've done this for Georgia. We've done this for New York. Uh, all these all these states are asking, you know, what happens? And the answer is, it does tend to look like this. And you can see that even if you wait the, the 15, the, the, you know, even if you wait uh, for uh, six weeks, you're still going to have a little bump uh, to have to worry about and control. And the question is whether you want to have no bump at all or whether you want to have you know, go through that, that bump of about 
an extra 40,000 deaths in the case of, uh, of, of Texas, which is three times our size. So Texas has 29 million people. We've got 10 million people. So, you know, you can just do the math backwards. Uh, they've got a slightly higher, uh, you know, we, we, we look at a whole number of, of factors here. We've got a little bit better, uh, uh, Michigan, the state of Michigan has a little bit better chance because, uh, of, of delay, uh, because of the, um, uh, of the seasonality. Uh, but Texas, on the other hand, uh, you know, uh, has a slightly higher starting, starting points in terms of, uh, positivity rates and so on. So, uh, and, and therefore maybe slightly more immune because they've had more, more infection than we have in some of the rural areas. So in other, in other words, this is about what's going to happen. And when the problem is, if you start to look at this, here's what happened in, 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 it looks sort of like a weird, it looks very, like a very weird, um, pattern, doesn't it? That, that whoop, and then comes down back. And we don't really see that normally. So here's what here's what uh, we we saw, we saw in Europe, and here's what we're predicting in Texas. And the problem is Europe is about 17, 18 Texas, and so if you start to you know put them all together, you, and you put 17 Texas together, it's pretty easy to get a pattern that are each slightly offset. You know, going into mobility and out of mobility, and having more infection rates and less infection rates over time, it's pretty easy to generate a pattern that is very very consistent with what we're seeing in Europe. So, you know, we want to keep vaccinating. We don't want to, uh, uh, we don't want to, uh, expose ourselves. We don't want to have spring break like that because mm-hmm. we are one of the top COVID countries, uh, as far as COVID goes in the world. And, you know, on the other hand, we're the top five vaccinated. And that's where the big questions come up about which going to, what's going to pay off vaccinations or the fact we've got a very high rate already. I'm getting tight on time. I can show you some more if you like, or we can wait until next time. Whatever you like. I think we're going to have to start to wind it down a bit uh, now, uh, okay. uh, and then we can save some stuff for next week. But let's uh, give me a couple more minutes. What do you got? Well, one thing I wanted to ask. Now we're a big tourism state here in Michigan. That's right. And I haven't heard the governor say anything about any restrictions on tourists. Because how do you restrict that? I mean just going to get in their cars and drive in. But what would you, I know you don't work with the state of Michigan, but what would you recommend? So what happens, uh, so what happens, I, I have talked to Michigan a little, a little bit about this. And the issue that we have is not well, about our mandates. Our mandates are are basically um, uh, useless. Uh, what, what what matters is how, how comfortable people feel to come and visit, right? So we can, we can open up the whole state and people aren't very comfortable about coming to visit because we have a really high uh, a rate of, of illness or because none of our people are vaccinated, they're not going to come, right? If you're in Chicago and you're feeling pretty safe and you have, oh, I'll, I'll drive up to my cottage in, uh, you know, uh, in Traverse City and they, and you look down and you say, gosh, they're only vaccinating at 30% in Traverse City. I don't want to go there. Then the place is on fire. Uh, I'll, I'll go, you know, some, some, someplace else. Uh, and, and so that's the challenge we've got. It's not so much about the regulation that we have. It's actually about people's comfort. And the problem we have right now, like I showed you last week, is we have an awful lot of capability to vaccinate up north, and no one's taking advantage of it. Our mm-hmm. lowest rates of vaccination are in the highest tourist areas. And if that yeah. keeps up, we're going to have we're going to have problems in those areas, and people aren't going to visit. And that's no matter what we do, because we do want to welcome the, the tourists. They're they're a big part of our economy, and they're going to be great uh, for us if we're safe. But if we're not perceived as being a safe place to visit, forget about it. Yeah, it seems to be politically driven. Uh, the rural areas of Michigan, shall we say, are much more Republican. And in that whole, you know, thing with wearing masks and it's not that big a deal, tend to be more politicized uh, than it probably should have been, right? Oh, yeah, the politics are really, it's sort of weird. You know, it's, it's as though people, it's also the virus really cares whether you're Republican or Democrat. They couldn't, the virus couldn't go as much to have a place to have sex, right? It just wants to have a place to have reproduce. And you're, you're that host. If you're Republican or Democrat, it doesn't matter at all. As long as you can, they find, and if you're not vaccinated, they will find you and they will kill you. That's, uh, that's the basic. That, that, should be the, that should be the public service announcement that the state puts out. Uh, you know, something along those lines to scare the hell out of people, right? So, well, yeah, uh, or, or hey, uh, we're safe. We're at herd immunity, right? Suppose Traverse right. City could say, "Great news, we we, we do all the math, and seventy five percent of our, our people are vaccinated, uh, uh, or and and so we've got herd immunity. Come on up, right? That's where you want to be, in, 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 you know, starting kind of Memorial Day, uh, uh, Memorial Day, and uh, we can get there. We can get there easily. We've got more than enough capability to vaccinate in the rural communities. I'm not sure why, you know, uh, the, some somehow um, people think it's 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 uh, it's non-Republican 
to get vaccinated because I mean, if it wasn't for President Trump, we wouldn't be here right now. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, we, 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 you know, he did he did the right thing by pushing vaccinations. We could have pers- pushed some other things like like masking more. We could have pushed some, other, but he he pushed. Uh, you know, and I was part of those teams. He pushed those t- teams really hard to hit numbers that we'd never hit before, and he did it. And you know, it to be a, a source of pride for the Republicans, not 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 a source of question whether they should take the vaccine. There's just no doubt about it. Okay, we're going to have to begin to wind her down, Fred. Uh, what what are we going to be talking about next week? So next week we can t- um, we can talk about. Uh, I wanted to talk a little bit about why uh, the variants haven't hit yet, uh, and because I, I I projected um, a while ago that we were going to have some variant issues, uh, kind of around April first, and it's now March fifteenth, uh, and we should start to see a little upswing, and all we're seeing is flattening out. So. There's some reasons um, I think that we could still have an upswing, and I want to you know make sure people are aware of that because right now people are getting are relaxing. Uh, people are something in some in some in some areas mask mask use has gone down sixfold, mm. and, and that shouldn't happen because we're still in a pretty risky 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 time right now. Yeah, I wear my N95 when I'm in Myers, and I go first thing in the morning, like about seven a.m. And uh, well, there's maybe a hundred people in there or something, you know. That's the way to do it. That, you know, you know, and and now that you're vaccinated, you know, uh, you're you're gonna get get a little bit safer. But uh, we still, during this transition period, uh, it'll probably last. Uh, like 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 uh, President Biden said, uh, you know, through through the summer. But after and then if, if if in the fall we're not getting any bumps and any feedback, uh, we're we're gonna we're, we'll turn a corner. All right, we're going to leave it at that. Uh, we'll talk about the the variations of all this this fun little COVID disease here next week. Uh, yes, and, uh, we can do that. We'll talk about the variants, and then we can certainly talk about even more than that as we get into how the variants fight each other, how we fight the variants. You know, it's, it, it should be a fun, fun interactive battle. We'll have. We'll okay, sounds great. And Beautiful. if folks want to find out more, where do they go, Fred? fredbrown.com feel free to come out and visit and ask, you know ask some questions be happy to answer all right sounds great well uh, that's it for the show today we'll be back again with fred next week and uh, i haven't quite got the other two segments booked yet but we'll announce those later in the week I want to thank you all for joining us and uh, matt as i said i had to take off a little early so on behalf of matt roush and i thanks for joining us on m squared tech has mi tech tv hope to see you next week 